You're listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. But let me start with a question. How many parents or grandparents are in the house? Raise your hand. If you are a proud parent, if you are a parent, grandparent, raise your hand. Get your hands up high. If you're a grandparent, you get to raise two hands. How about that? Get those hands up high. Get them up high. Keep them up. You got to play along here. All right. If you are a parent and you only have one child, your hands got to go down. That, that doesn't count. When there's a big fight, you know who to blame. When something is missing, you know who did it. When something is broken, but if you have more than one kid, more than one grandchild, keep your hands up. Now, which child, seriously, which child, which grandchild do you love the most? <laughs> yeah, there you go, all of them, that's right. Angela and I have three children. We're not at the season of grandchildren yet, but man, we're getting close. Well, no, I don't know if I should say that. I don't know. We'll find out, but <laughs> close in age. Our kids like to tease each other and to tease Angela and me about which child we really love the most. Like we've got this secret plan that Angela and I have where we've drawn straws or something and we've picked, you know, our favorite kid. But that's just not true. Someone even shouted out, we love all of them and we love them equally. But let me change the question a little bit. Which child, those of you who had your hands up, Which grandchild is the one you're thinking about? Is there a child, is there a grandchild that honestly you're thinking more about than maybe the others? I've learned this. I love my kids the same. But equal love doesn't always equal um, equal priority. Equal love doesn't mean equal priority in every season. Have you been in that situation where you've got three kids in three events at the same time in three different places, and you've got to to have the argument over, you know, which kid needs your attention the most? Who's just going to get dropped off? Which kid's going to get the video? Sometimes priorities have to be figured out. And if you've lived long enough, certainly if you're a grandparent, you've been there where your mind is dominated by the one who's hurting the most. A parent is only as happy as their saddest child. The reality is the child that is hurting the most tends to be where our priority is bent, where the attention goes, and that's justifiable. Equal love doesn't always mean equal priority. Our attention, our desire, our passion, our burden is often directed at the one who's hurting the most. What do you think about God? God loves everyone. In fact, Jesus died for everyone. Every person who would say yes to Jesus, Jesus died for that individual. And every person that would say no thanks, Jesus died for them too. Do you think Jesus, do you think God has a bent in his heart for those that are hurting and those that are lost? 
I'm thankful to God today that the relentless and reckless love of God pursues everyone. But there's a tender spot in the heart of the Father for those who are lost. John chapter 3. Ushers, go ahead and begin serving communion. This is how God loved the world. He gave His one and His only Son. In just a moment, you will be holding in your hand a little wafer of bread and a little cup of juice that are symbols, physical reminders of the body and the blood of Jesus. That Jesus came from the glories of heaven to live on earth, to suffer and to die. Not to die an easy death, but to die the death of a criminal, a criminal on a cross, beaten, bruised, and bloodied for lost people like me and like you. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world. And don't you know it? We deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve it. The person seated next to you deserves it. We deserve judgment because we've fallen so short, fallen so far below what God's called us to be, who He's called us to be. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Verse 19. God's light came into the world and people loved the light and ran in droves to be in the light. That's not what it says. And that's not our experience. That's not reality. God's light came into the world but the people loved their darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And yet Jesus went through it anyway. When Jesus died on the cross... He died for his beloved disciple, John. He died for his mother, Mary. But he also died for the soldier driving the nails into his feet. He whispered, Father, forgive them over Pilate as he washed his hands of any personal responsibility. Jesus relentlessly and seemingly recklessly loves everyone, even those who've rejected him, turned their back on him, and are lost. Jesus loves everyone and he's made a priority to love those who are far from him. Jesus, as we bow our head in these moments, we still our heart recognizing recognizing your love for us today. Have you ever been placed in the position where amongst amongst a group of Equally loved people, you had to make a priority. Maybe it's a work group. A work group, and you've got this assignment together, and the six or eight or the ten of you are all equally invested, equally working together for this one task, this one project, but one person needs to be the priority. Perhaps there's conflict at home, an illness, something that has set a team member back and their productivity has declined and the team says they need to be the priority. Have you experienced that before? 
where you come alongside and say, we are all equal, but this one needs to be the priority. You see that in family, certainly. Just about a month ago, when the, bo- the bombings were happening in Austin, you remember that, the guy that was mailing the bombs. How many remember that incident? Those series of um, attacks in Texas. In morning, one morning during that, those days, I just felt impressed to send a text message to my cousin. My cousin is married to um, an individual who serves on the FBI, works at the Behavioral Analysis Unit. So often when there's a stateside critical incident, I know his team is involved. So I sent my cousin a message, hey, tell, tell Greg I'm praying for him. Tell him I'm praying that God will give him and his team wisdom to capture this guy. And my cousin responded back immediately, thank you for your prayers, I'll tell him. But, but, please pray, and she named another member of her family. Pray for this member, because they are in trouble. And she went on to describe the situation one of her other family members were in. It's not that one wasn't loved, but the other one was hurting. Parents, we understand that. There's an equality to our love. We love all of our children. We love all of our grandchildren. But when you get a call from the emergency room, everything stops and one child becomes the priority. When someone is in pain or hurting, equal love doesn't mean equal priority. And suddenly there is one that's the target, one that's the center of attention, one that demands our passionate, our passionate uh, focus. I wonder if God is like that. I wonder if God's love for everyone has times of focus or individuals of priority that God desperately wants to reach, God desperately wants to redeem. It's a story in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is there with a crowd of people. And here's what we read in verse 1 one and 2 of this chapter. Luke chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So there's a tension between Jesus the religious, and those that were living apart from God. And if you've grown up in church, if you're familiar with the background of Scripture, you probably understand at least the, 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 the backdrop of this story, that the Pharisees and the religious, they were fully devoted to knowing God. From the time of their youth, certainly for a Pharisee, from the time he was around 10 or 11 years old, would have been brought in and tutored Already by an adult, having memorized the Torah and the poetry and the prophets, they were fully devoted to living their life to please God. And they were put off by those who were not so committed, who in fact were living a life far from the law of God, who were living apart from God's promises, who were not redeemed, who were not living God's will for their life. And so there was this chasm between these two groups of people. But the story goes deeper than that. If you have the Bible open on your phone, you can back up one chapter 
If you have a physical Bible on your lap, turn back one page to chapter 14, and you'll see Jesus in a setting at a Pharisee's house. He's having dinner with a group of religious people, and they're vying for the best position, the best seat in the house. They want to get closer to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, your priorities are all wrong. And I believe this, chapter 15, continues that theme. It wasn't just that these two groups of people were so different in their practice of their faith, but it was more than that. The Pharisees were being put aside. Jesus was giving too much attention to the people who least deserved it. Jesus was devoting too much priority to the people who hadn't really earned God's attention. And so this caused a conflict in the relationship. And relationships can be complicated. When there's this triangle of forces involved, then there's tension between the relationships. Whether it's mother and son and daughter, or in this case, Jesus. Those that were sinning and the religious. And we see in this, in the backdrop of this story, the tension around these relationships. With Jesus, there's attention demanded on one side of the triangle and tension in the other. How is Jesus going to solve this situation? He tells three stories. Three stories. Verse 3, we read this. Jesus told them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what's he going to do? Can you see the triangle that Jesus is laying out in the story? Here's the situation. Jesus, those that are sinning and the religious and the tension is there. So Jesus tells a story, and can you picture the main characters? A shepherd has a hundred sheep, but one is lost. And you can kind of fill in the triangle and see it. Here's the shepherd, 99 sheep are there, and here's the one. What's going to happen in the story? Verse 4, won't the shepherd make a choice to prioritize the one? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Hey, celebrate with me, rejoice with me, for that lost sheep of mine has been found. The shepherd loves the 99. The shepherd loves the one. Equal relationship, equal love, but one priority demands the shepherd's attention. And of course, that's this one sheep. And when that one sheep is restored to the 99, we put on the party hats, blow up the balloons, cut the cake, and we celebrate. Jesus goes on to tell a second story. Oh, I'm sorry, let me get verse 7. In the same way, so Jesus stops telling the story and relates it to what is happening right then and there. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't wandered away. Verse 8. Or suppose, story number 2. Or suppose a woman has 10 coins, 10 drachmas in the Greek. 10 drachmas. A drachma was worth about one day's pay. So suppose a woman has a 10 days worth of income, Monday through Friday, 
Monday through Friday, two weeks of pay. Suppose a woman has 10 days of pay and she loses one. What's going to happen? Do you see how the triangle works there? A woman has 10 coins but has lost one. Same relationship. A woman who values the one, values the nine. What is she going to do? Jesus goes on to tell the story. Will she not get her phone, turn on the little flashlight thing? Get on her hands and knees and start searching the kitchen, opening every kitchen drawer, calling all the kids, lining them up. Did you take it? Did you take it? Did you take it? Who borrowed money to go to McDonald's? You know, she's going to grill everyone to find the lost coin. Story ends much like the first one. When she finds it, verse 9, when she finds that one lost coin, she'll call her friends and her neighbors, text everybody, Say, hey, come on over. Remember that 10% I asked you to pray about? Remember that one thing that I lost that I asked you to pray for? I found it. Come on over. Let's celebrate. Rejoice with me because I have found that one lost coin. So it's the same thing. Valued, valued, but one priority. And as that woman gives her attention to find the one coin, the coin is found and they celebrate with the party. In the same way, So again, Jesus stops telling the story and says, just like this setting with the religious and the sinners, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, so Luke adds his kind of narration there. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a third story. So there's one story, 99 sheep, One's lost. There's a second story. Nine coins, one is lost. And then Luke says, Jesus is going to tell a third story. And this third story is going to illustrate the point even further. Because the first two stories only deal with this side of the triangle. The third story deals with this side of the triangle as well. The story begins this way. Five little words. A man has two boys. You see the three people. Do you see the triangle shape? A man has two sons. And you probably know the story. The younger son told his dad what no son should ever say. The younger son told his father, I want my money now. I've been waiting for you to die, but you seem to be taking your precious time. And that's not exaggerating. That's what he's saying. I want to live life my way. You're not getting out of my way. Can I just have what should be mine and get out of here? The younger son told his father, I want my money now. I want my share of the estate now before you die. And of course the father said no. That's a ridiculous request. You foolish son. The father recklessly loves his child. Recklessly gives permission. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He probably went to the lenders, borrowed cash against one-third of his estate, his property. Two-thirds would have belonged to the older brother who would have received a double portion, but one-third of everything he owned, he cashed it out 
Here you go. There's the cashier's check, son. Have it. A few days later, the son doesn't even wait long enough to let it draw any interest in the bank. Just a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, took himself off Facebook, never sent a text message back home to say what was going on. He disappeared. He ran away. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of that money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, and this is how sin works, isn't it? We go out, think we're having a party of a time, having a good old time, the pleasure of sin for a season, but that season comes to an abrupt end, and it goes from bad to worse to even worse. And that's the state the son is in. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded one of the local farmers to hire him out. That farmer sent him out to the fields to feed his pigs, and he was so hungry that even the pig slop looked good to him. Everyone who passed by him, everyone who saw him, no one offered him help. No one gave him a handout utterly and completely alone. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, when he finally gave up, when he finally realized the state he was in, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I'll tell him, Father, I'm sorry. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as just a hired servant. So he returned home, and that's exactly what he did. He returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. The father, filled with love, filled with compassion, ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son began to speak, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, quick, bring the finest robe. Put it on my son. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf because we're going to throw a party. Verse 23, we must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine that was dead has now been brought to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He was over here, and now he's back with me. Same story, same triangle. Father loves the son. Father loves the son. But this was the priority. This was the passion. This was where the excitement was. And this relationship, once it was restored, led to throwing a massive party. But remember what Luke said. To illustrate the story or to illustrate this reality, this truth further, Jesus told this third story. The first two, the sheep and the coin, only dealt with this relationship. The third story deals with this one as well. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing going on in the house, and he asked one of the servants, What's going on in there? Well, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fat calf, and we're celebrating because he has safely returned. And the older brother was filled with joy and joined the party. Verse 28. The older son was angry and wouldn't go in. And the party is in jeopardy. The son is home. The preparations are being made for the party. Father, younger son, restored to relationship. This is going to be a great celebration. 
but the older son is dividing the family again. I'm not coming to that party. And I don't know if I would. The older brother gets a bad rap. But when I look in the mirror, I think I would have responded the same way. If my brother would have said those words to my dad, if my little brother would have taken his estate and said, Dad, I wish you would hurry up and die. Give me my money. Leave the family. Steal from the estate. Offend my family. Blow it all on prostitutes and sinning, gross stuff, and then come back begging. I would say, Dad, are you crazy? I'd pull Dad aside. Now, you know what he's going to do. You think he's changed? Are you crazy? What a reckless decision to give him more. He doesn't deserve more. I'd pull my little brother aside and say, what are you doing back home? You haven't said, are you with me? I've sat in my office with families in similar situations. The older brother or the one who stayed home saying, can you tell my parents they're just enabling them? You're like, you want me to go tell your mom and dad to stop loving one of their children? You don't understand the love of a parent. It's a mess. It's tense. There's tension going on. This relationship has come back, but this relationship is in trouble. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. Verse 28. The father loved the younger, even though the younger left, and now the father's going to demonstrate his love for the older, even though the older is mad. His father came out and begged him, begged him, come to the party, don't break up our family. Listen to the older brother's response. All these years I have slaved for you. Interesting, isn't it? This one thought, I'd be better off being a slave. This one, who's always been the son, said, I've lived like a slave. All these years I've slaved for you, and never once did I ever refuse a single thing you told me to do. I love it when the proud child always exaggerates how good they really are. Maybe that's never happened in your family. In all the time, you never gave me even one young goat. No parties for my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, beautiful language, look, my dear son, the father loves both sons. The father does everything he can do to bridge those relationships that are fragile. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, but now he's back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Next week, we'll spend our time looking at this character. The shepherd, the woman looking for the coin, the father making amends with both sons. And we'll look at Jesus. We'll think about the decisions that Jesus is making and asking us to make. But today, this morning, the question is this. Who are you in the story? Jesus doesn't tell parables. Jesus doesn't tell stories so we can read them and project them onto other people. Jesus doesn't tell us stories so we can lay that transparency over others and look at them. 
we need to look at ourselves. Who are you in this story? Are you over here, the lost, or are you over here, part of the found? Are you over here, the one that has wandered away? Are you here, the one who has stayed home? Are you the 99 or the 1? And Jesus tells these stories, and we have to choose. Most of us today, most of us today are like the 99. Most of us are ones that Jesus has already redeemed, rescued. We're living our life to please him. You're here today. You're hungry to be in God's presence. You desire to follow him and live your life to please him. Most of you are the 99. Most of us are the 99. So what does this story tell us about us? What does this story tell us about the 99? Three quick things. Number one, when you're part of the 99, you've got to give permission to Jesus to make a priority out of the lost. You have to say, Jesus, I understand. Go get them. Go for it. When the 99 sheep are all huddled together and they're whispering to one another about the one who's missing. Oh, there he goes again. He wandered away one more time. And, that, and they see the shepherd, right? They see him walk away from the, the flock that's all together. What are you doing chasing him again? When are you just going to let him go? You have us 99. 99 of us are here. Why would you go after that one? He's going to wander off again. When you're part of the 99, you have to choose. You have to give permission to God to have a priority for those that are hurting and lost. You have to say, Jesus, go get them. Go find them. I understand. I won't selfishly hold you all to myself. I won't try to get it all for me. You go. Go after them. Go after the one who's hurting. It's not that Jesus loves one and not the other. Jesus loves them all. But when you're in the 99, you say, Jesus, go make the priority those that are far from you. And then number two, we've got to plan not punishment but a party. You know, sometimes we're like the older brother. We're expecting the father to welcome the younger son back for a spanking, not a party. In fact, we've got all of our plans. When that guy gets back, here's what we should do, here's what we should do, and then we should do this. And the father's like, let's celebrate. The greatest moments of celebration should be at baptisms. It should be those times people raise a hand and say, I want to be made right with God. A church that parties when the lost are found is a church God will bless. Give permission to Jesus to prioritize the lost. Join the party when the lost are found. And then eventually, learn to have the heart of that lead character. There's a pattern to the triangle. The lost, the one that's gone astray, is brought home. And the ones that are home learn to have the heart of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. In other words, my priorities make them your priorities. My passion, my love, my desire to go out of my way so that the lost can be found, you have that too. Paul the Apostle wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, I just don't do, I don't do just what is best for me. I do what is best for others. I want to do what's best for this one. Why? So they will be saved. The 99 
are constantly giving priority to the one. Maybe today, this is you. Maybe you're the one that has wandered off like the sheep. You were with the flock, things were going good, and man, something looked really appealing. And off you strayed. And now you've looked around, and the flock is gone. And you've lived life on your own. You've been apart from the family of God. You've been outside of his grace. You've been living life on your own. Can I tell you, the shepherd, the shepherd is hunting you down. So I want to pick you up. I want to carry you back home. Maybe you're like the one coin. You just kind of fell through the cracks. You thought you were there, thought things were fine, and something just happened, and you disappeared. And you don't know how to come back. I'll tell you, that lady is sweeping the floor, shining the light, vacuuming the carpets, looking for you. Or maybe you're like the sun. You've made some stupid decisions. You've been rebellious. You've said some things you regret. You've told God some things you wish you could take back. Well, your father hasn't turned his back on you. The father's waiting for you to come home. If you are the one, the reckless love of God is pursuing you. Your friends, your family may say it isn't worth it. They may have written you off. They may have given up on you. You, have may, you may have lived a life of an addict and tried and failed one too many times for your family to hang in there with you. But your forever family, Jesus, has not given up looking for you. Never. The constant, relentless hound of heaven is tracking you down. And you just need to say, here I am. Pick me up, put me on your shoulders and carry me home. The love of God is reckless. Pursuing those who look like they've rejected, God still pursues them. Jesus makes a priority out of those who are lost. And if that's you today, in these last, min- these last couple minutes together, it's going to be so critical for you to say, here am I. Like that lost sheep out in the thicket, here am I, shepherd. Like that one lost son coming back home up the hill, here I am, Father, will you take me back? Like that one coin feeling those fingers of that lady wrap around you and pull you back. The relentless and reckless love of God wants to welcome you home. Do you need that today? If you're here today and you know you're far from God, you are God's priority. You are God's passionate pursuit. Will you bow with me just for a moment? If you need to be rescued by God, if you need picked up and placed on the shepherd's shoulders, if you need that father to meet you, meet you outside the house and welcome you, then I want you to do two things. Two things. Number one, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then after that, I'm going to ask you to fill out that you belong here card. And here's why. Because you can pray a prayer this morning and it'd be a powerful first step. And that's great. But I need you to take step number two, three, four, and five. And we want to help you do that. So if you need Jesus to rescue you today, would you just lift a hand? We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. 
Remember, God created you to make a difference. So go and make a difference.